for me personally just to be here and sing praises to God with you and thank you for the hugs and the love, uh, affirmation. Uh, you know, there's nowhere I'd rather be. And uh, I thank you for a family that uh, supports those that feel grief and gives love. Thank you for that. I'm going to take a little break uh, from going through John just to spend a little time in the book of Acts. And what I'd like to do is really look at conversion in the book of Acts. Now why this is so important is uh, we have among us people that have been visiting for a while, people that have been studying the Bible, and they're very seriously considering their decision to enter into a covenant relationship with God. And uh, that's the most important decision they'll ever make. Um, And that's a decision that in fact has eternal consequence. And it's exciting just to read through this because sort of like going to a wedding, uh, if you're married and you go to a wedding, um, you uh, think about your wedding and what it was like and how you were feeling that day and the joy that was there, the expectation, the excitement and the fulfillment. And if you're not married and you want to be, then a wedding also provokes some future-looking thoughts like, boy, I'd like to be there too. This, I'd like to experience this. And, you know, there's that very, again, positive feeling going on. Now, if you're the one in the wedding, wow, it's, uh, well, I, I, I mean, I, so I remember things about my wedding and there's other things I kind of think I was almost guided through it, you know. I was so excited. Uh, nervous, and uh, you know, I just remember the one thing I do remember very clearly was the prayer by myself down in the basement of the church building. God, help me not to faint. Help me to you know stay hang in there. Uh, and then, of course, just a prayer. Thank you for Tammy. I can't believe I'm getting married. I can't believe I'm getting married to Tammy. Thank you. And I wish you could have been there for the wedding. But uh, we played the Star Wars anthem and marched in together, you know. What can I say? But, uh, you know, I even was wearing a white tux. I just really want you to use your imagination here, okay? So, anyway. Well, I never. <laughs> yes. It's amazing what a person will do. Anyway. But if we're going to talk about the stories of conversion in the book of Acts, of course, the first place to begin is the first day of the establishment of the church. The day, in fact, the kingdom came. Now, the king had come earlier. But the kingdom opened up in a brand new way. Jesus had said to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And this is what the church is, really, an outpost of God's kingdom. Of course, God is everywhere. But the kingdom is a special place because there God's reign is acknowledged. God's reign is welcomed. God's reign is accepted and loved. And so I want us to read together. Peter and the apostles gathered on this day of Pentecost. And there was signs, uh, mighty miracles were worked. The apostles were speaking in tongues and 
having had the chance to plant some churches in some foreign countries, there's been a few times I've prayed. You know, if, if this happens today, I would just love a little better Russian right now, okay? Uh, as you'll see from a little clip I'll show you, that didn't happen. But anyways, actually you won't know. We only have a couple of Russian speakers here today. Actually, I know we have a, a, a true Russian right here. The mothers of one of our friends uh, is here today, a Ukrainian. Great to have you here. Um, but... You know, it's an exciting thing to look in the Scriptures because I believe we can be reminded and also be taught. We can be reminded of what we've gone through, but also then we can can learn and help teach others through this example. So what happened on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and that's an invisible outpouring, so there were signs, so that you could see that it had happened. And there was a sound of a mighty wind, and the apostles began speaking in languages that they hadn't studied, and visitors from all over the Roman Empire were hearing people speak in their native dialects. It was a miracle. And so a crowd came together, and Peter took the opportunity to preach. And I want to pick this up then in Acts 2 verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Wouldn't it be amazing to be able to talk to people and say, you know Jesus could do miracles. You know, this is only seven weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. Seven weeks later. And Jesus had been a public figure, and anyone in Jerusalem had heard about Jesus. And many there would have seen something Jesus had done. And so Peter could say, as you know, Jesus did these, mir- these miracles. Now the prophet Isaiah made it very clear that when the Messiah came, He would do great miracles. The, the, spirit, the power of the Spirit would be on Him. He would heal the sick. He would give sight to the blind. He would set the captives free. He would preach a message of good news. Jesus did all this. Moses also said, a prophet like me will be raised up at one point. And we know that the kind of miracles that Moses did, no other prophet did but Jesus. And as Moses led the people out of their bondage in Egypt, Jesus led His people out of their bondage to sin. And so he says, you know who I'm talking about. God has accredited Jesus to you. And then he goes on to say, verse 23, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now how was that for an opening line? You've heard about Jesus. you heard about all the great things He did. And by the way, you are guilty of killing Him. Now, you know, we first hear this, it's kind of shocking. Because wasn't there a lot of people in the crowd that didn't take up the nails and didn't take up the hammer? Wasn't there a lot of people in the crowd who didn't even witness His death? How could they be held responsible? But God spent a lot of time in the Old Covenant to set up a principle. And that is for the forgiveness of sin, blood must be shed. For us to be forgiven, there must be a sacrifice. And for that sacrifice to be connected to you, if you are offering your own sacrifice for your own sin, you the offerer put your hand on 
that, that animal's head. And you were the one that slit its throat. You killed the animal. Because this was acknowledging the cost of our sin. Our sin killed Jesus. And so we need to appreciate that. Because as has been stated many times, forgiveness cannot be bought. Forgiveness can only be given. It's a gift. And what the cross is saying... You know, I think we... I just encourage us all to dig a little deeper into the theology of this. But God doesn't want to kill us on a cross. And let me tell you why. We're already dead. You don't kill people who are dead. We're dead in our sins. You don't have to kill us again. It's not no need. But for God to forgive us, God the righteous judge must completely deny Himself. And for God to deny justice, He must give up something. His right to punish. His right to condemn. And only God can voluntarily give that up. There's nothing we can do to provoke that from God. It's His free gift. And so what we see on the cross is Jesus surrendering His life for us completely and God foregoing His right of judgment and condemnation. But you know, there is a judgment. How bad is our sin? It killed the Son of God. And see, the reason this is important is when we look at conversion in the book of Acts, we're going to see some urgency. When we look at the conversion, we're going to see cutness, cut to the heart. We're going to see people wanting to repent. Because when they understood what the Creator of the universe was willing to do for them, it changes how you see everything. It changes how you see everything. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And that Son's life was given for us. So Peter preached, and he would preach this five more times throughout the book of Acts. Just in the first few chapters, he said, You killed Jesus. He said, You put Him to death. Again, verse 23, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. You know, Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Incredible. And honestly, that is what God is saying to us, surely you don't understand the cost of your sin till I tell you, till I reveal it to you. Surely you can't realize this. Forgive them. But see, that offer of grace must be accepted. It's a covenant of grace. And that covenant is free. It is offered completely. Totally. God raised him from the dead. Boy, if that isn't a game changer. Having lost my own father today, it is hope of the resurrection that completely allows me to stand here today. Absolutely. I I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for what happened to Jesus. 
and the promise that that can happen to us too. But because of that, I know there is something more. I know, in fact, that there's eternal life. Look what Peter goes on to say. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because He's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You have filled me with the joy in your presence. You know, it's amazing. From reading the Psalms, you know David had had a glimpse of heaven. But if you look in the Old Covenant, it was never promised. Eternal life wasn't an Old Covenant promise. Now because of faith and God honoring that faith, and the power of the sacrifice of Jesus, it will cover those who live by faith even before Jesus came. That's amazing. It's their faith in God translated into that sacrifice of Jesus will give them a resurrection on the last day. It's amazing. But look what it says here, verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Wow. You know how powerful that must have been. And Peter was an eyewitness. He'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. And he said, this prophecy has been fulfilled. And of course, the message inside of Christianity is, Jesus was meant to be the first of many. Jesus would be the first raised from the dead to to be with God completely. We know some people have sort of raised from the dead to die again. Some others were translated. A couple of people in the Old Testament are in the presence of the angels and of God, what that means. But still, the heaven that is to come, that is still something in the future. Jesus went right back to the very center of God. And from there has poured out the Spirit on us. See, that Spirit He poured out, Zechariah 12, is a Spirit of sonship. Through that Spirit, we can become His children. Jesus had said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Jesus said in John chapter 3, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You must be born of water and the Spirit. Well, these people accepted the responsibility of the sacrifice. See, this idea of Jesus dying for them, the Jews understood the concept. 
It's a little more difficult for us. We're not used to thinking that way. I don't think any of us here has ever offered an animal sacrifice. Though actually, some of the Russian disciples that I know of have, from Ossetia, they go up into the mountains. This is a pagan religion, but they actually put their hand, they, they do full animal sacrifice still in the southern mountains of Russia. And of course, it's happening all over the world in various places, in various ways. But for us, it's kind of an alien concept. For the Jewish people understood exactly what Peter was saying. Jesus died for you. The cost of your salvation was the death of Jesus on the cross. An innocent man died, and not just a man, the Son of God. Now how would you be feeling right about now, if you really got that? You know what it says here, verse 37, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? See, when they heard this message, they accepted their responsibility for what had happened. They realized that God had set this all up. God had ordained the sacrifice of Jesus. In fact, every animal sacrificed in the Old Testament was simply looking forward to the sacrifice of Jesus. God had made up His mind before the creation of the world that He would give us freedom of choice and that He would then forgive us if we accept His sacrifice. What an amazing Gift, What an amazing God. And so the people were cut to the heart. They said, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all, off, all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. In the first part of his sermon, Peter was talking sacrificial language. Something died for you. Something was offered for you. And the Jews understood that very clearly. This was God's sacrifice for our sins. And they said, what do we need to do? And the answer came back very clearly. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, verse 39, The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You know, what's interesting is, this is another type of language that the Jewish people recognize very clearly. It's covenant language. If you look in Hebrews chapter 8, it says Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. Because the promises are better. Now, if you go back to Deuteronomy 7, verse 12, and you read the promises of the Old Covenant, you'd be amazed. We just read this the other day, a couple of us together. God promised them, if they were faithful to His laws, that they would have none of the diseases they had in Egypt, that all of the women would have children, all of the livestock would bear children, uh, uh, would have uh, offspring, it said uh, that they would be wealthy, wealthier than all their neighboring countries. I mean, actually, if any politician could make those promises and keep them, they'd be in office. I mean, it was the most amazing social system ever created. And God made this covenant and He said, if you just obey my commands. But you know, 
we have a thousand years of history of Israel living in the promised land, actually 1400. And it's just one failure after another to keep the covenant. And that, that's what's described in Deuteronomy 7 of the blessings. Israel rarely lived in that, in that blessing because they weren't faithful to God in His covenant. You know, the covenant, covenant is another, the most common form of covenant we see is marriage. And God uses marriage as a way to teach us about His covenant. Even in the Old Testament, Israel was sometimes talked about as a wife. But in the New Testament, this is a very definitive picture. The church is the wife of Christ. Now what is the cross? It's interesting. Right in this one little sermon, we have a proclamation of the cross, and then we have the call to repent and be baptized. They're within verses of each other. Why? Because the cross is God paying for the covenant. God establishes the covenant with us in the cross. The cross pays for. It's the bride price of this marriage. In other words, the way that this marriage can happen, someone had to buy the bride. Now, praise God, it's also a purification process. Okay? It, paid, it makes us acceptable to God through the sacrifice of Jesus. You know, the picture of the cross is this. It's the groom, Jesus, standing at the altar. Everything's ready. Everything is ready in the building. He's standing at the altar and He's saying, I want you to be my bride. Now, if you're smart, you get excited the first moment you even get an idea about this. You know, if, if you, when you're getting married, you're excited already. You don't start loving the person just at the altar. Now, your love for that person might only get tested after the altar, but that's another question, okay? But, but you're going to the altar already excited because you're in love with this person. And see, that's exactly what the cross does for us as we begin to understand it. We begin to fall in love with God. We see Him standing there at the altar saying, Come! Come! But see, the covenant is two-sided. There has to be a response. And though some would say, Oh, you just have to believe that's your response. The response is a covenant. It's a promise. This is covenantal language. Here's the promise for you, your children, and for everyone else whom God will call. Everyone. And we'll see that without exception in the book of Acts. Here's your response. Repent and be baptized. And your sins will be forgiven. And you'll receive the gift of the indwelling Spirit of God. And your marriage with God begins. Now, how many marriages do we have here today? Okay. Do you have to be perfect to be in a marriage? Okay, point made. Point made. Okay. You know, we're in a marriage with God as His children, as the bride of Christ. We're in a relationship with Him. It's not based on our perfection. Praise Him! 
It is based on His sacrifice. He bought us with a price. But it is a covenant. And all a covenant requires is faithfulness. Unfaithfulness will eventually break a covenant. I didn't say perfection. Praise God I didn't say perfection. Simply faithfulness. And so we live in a constant state of His grace, of His forgiveness. He's inviting us in, but it's a covenant. And He makes an offer. And there's a difference because this offer on the cross, it paid for the sins of everybody. In fact, in that moment, you could say all sins are forgiven. But it didn't set up a covenant with everybody. It opened the way for a covenant with every person. But unless someone responds as they responded, they don't have a covenant with God. Now God is merciful. What God wants to do outside of this covenant, that's His business. He didn't give me any gospel to preach about that though. I appreciate what happened to the the thief on the cross. That was an amazing story. But that was before Peter preached repentance and baptism. And he was also talking to the Son of God. And if the Son of God wants to save the thief on the cross, Amen! I believe in that Son of God. He can do whatever He wants. But we were given a gospel message which is the cross of Christ and His resurrection. And see, baptism is our participation in that. And so, this covenant is an invitation. And the response is quite simple. Repent and be baptized. And that's why these people were urgent. Can you imagine standing at the back of the church building and you see your groom already? You have to imagine yourself as a bride. But he's all ready and everything's, the music's ready to go and you're just kind of going, isn't this beautiful? It's so great. I think I'll just stay back here for a while. No, when you realize what's waiting at the altar, you run. You're urgent. You're excited. Because God is inviting you into an eternal covenant with Him. And so, it's so simple. This language, the Jews understood it quickly. Look what he says in verse 40. With many other words, He warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message and were baptized. Were, sorry, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That was a pretty good day in Jerusalem, wasn't it? Now sometimes we think, why don't we have 3,000 in one day? Hey, Jesus told his apostles they would reap where they did not sow. Three years, three and a half years at least, Jesus was preaching and teaching, performing miracles, teaching the truth about the kingdom of God. They reaped where they did not sow. As Peter said, you saw Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. They were responding because what they knew of Jesus as well. But see, this is God's plan for us. It is the most amazing plan. There is a gift He is offering us through Jesus Christ. And that gift is giving up judgment, the condemnation of our sin. Wow. Because He has every right. 
He's saying, you don't believe I'll forgive you? Look what I'm going to do with my son. Look what I'm going to allow to happen to him. I'll demonstrate to you my willingness to forgive. Watch this. And so we're reminded every time we see a baptism, we see someone united with Christ. It's an amazing feat. You know, what we're going to close out with today is just a little video clip. And it's from, uh, it's, it's an old one, it's vintage, 1992, Kiev, Ukraine. And uh, what happened here, my wife and I had the privilege of taking a, a group of young people. I think the oldest person besides us was probably 25 years old. A number of the people were just in their early 20s. Um, and, you know, they, we came, 12 people moved to the city of Kiev, and we brought maybe 12, 13 more people with us. And we, we arrived on Monday, let me think of the date, it would have been the, first second, would have been the 